This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. First reading is from Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel began being settled in their towns. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body. Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. Holy wisdom, holy word. According to Nehemiah, this is the part where we raise our arms and say, Amen, Amen. And then you get down on the floor and you prostrate yourselves. We'll let that part slide. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Sometimes when I get ready to preach, I, I've got the whole thing figured out. Other times, the word is like 
a diamond with so many shining facets, which is a very bad thing for someone with a a little bit of attention deficit. Because every time a thought starts to form, there's another shiny thing to look at. And until finally all I can do is smile and go swimming in it and pop up for air every now and then and tell you what I see. I don't know if you caught it, but when we began the service uh, with our confession, we heard echoes from these readings today. We heard an echo from that reading from Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we heard an echo from the reading from Luke, which is Jesus reading from Isaiah, in which he says, I have come to proclaim release to the captives as we are released now. Such is the nature of the word of God that it, when it is spoken, it comes to life. It doesn't speak once and then go silent, but rather like any living thing, it continues to speak. And so the word continues to be proclaimed, but we hear it in different voices. We hear it speaking in different ways to us. And so the word continues to be proclaimed down through the ages. Today we hear Jesus read from the scroll of the great prophet Isaiah. He gets up in front of the assembly And he reads that beautiful passage of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. I have come to announce release to the captives, sight for the blind. I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, it's easy to go by without really noticing it, but it was a key phrase because it was a way of referring to what was called the Jubilee year. What was the Sabbath? Kids, raise your hands. What's the Sabbath? What was it? It was Saturday. And what were they supposed to do on the Sabbath? Rest. But what we don't always realize is that the Sabbath wasn't just one day. The Sabbath was an outline that embraced all of time and creation. The Sabbath was that capstone on the act of creation at the beginning where God does everything. And then by the act of resting on the seventh day, consecrates it and says, it's done, it's perfect. And then he commanded the people not only to rest on the seventh day in remembrance of that, but every seven years there was also to be a Sabbath for the land in which the land was allowed to go fallow. The land was allowed to rest. And the Crops that came up naturally, what's the best way to refer to this? They were declared to have no owner. So anyone could go in to harvest them. 
And the idea was that in this year in which the land rested, the poor would be able to come in and harvest enough and more for themselves from these fields that were going fallow, from these trees that were allowed to grow without being pruned or without being controlled. But not only that, but then every seven times seven years, there came this thing called the Jubilee year, which was like a, a, a big reset button put on society. And when seven times seven years came, the idea was that anyone who had, through poverty, had to sell off their land, their land would be returned to them. Anyone who was a slave would be released. Anyone who was in debt to another, that debt would be forgiven. And so when Jesus announces at the end of that reading that he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What he's saying is the jubilee year has come and these things are going to happen. Now most scholars agree that the jubilee year probably was never really celebrated. For reasons that become pretty obvious if you start kind of going through it logically. If, uh, if all debts get forgiven every 50 years, then, you know, around year 47, 48, 49, it's going to be awfully hard to find capital. And if all the slaves get released, if, if all these, these things get reset, it's going to really wreak havoc with the economic system. And people didn't want to do it. So it remained this shining vision. But the implementation, that was the hard thing. Now Jesus gets up before this crowd this morning. He reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He announces the arrival of the Jubilee year. And it says that he met with everyone's favor. Everyone was impressed. Well, of course they were. Who doesn't love that vision of the Jubilee year? It's beautiful. We just don't want to do it. And so when he sits down and says, this morning, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing that's going to start making people uncomfortable. Wait a minute, do you mean we're really supposed to do this stuff? The devil's always in the details. You know, at, um, one of the principles that we lift up here at Lord of Life is that idea, that idea of worship plus two that it's not enough simply to come to worship. We want you to also get involved in community. We also want you to get involved in mission. Because we try to hold on to that idea that this means doing something. That this is drawing us to a new reality. That picture of the Jubilee year looks very different from the world in which we live in. 
where debts do not get forgiven. Rather, people's homes go into foreclosure. Where those who are, have to sell off their goods, well, they are not getting them back unless they can find a way to earn some more money. People just don't do that. And unfortunately, the poor tend to remain poor. The blind tend to remain blind. The world remains screwed up. But we continue to hold up that vision of God's kingdom. And we come smack dab into it. We run nose first into it every time we hear the word of God. But in Christ, we see that kingdom come into being. In his interactions with people, in the words that he speaks, in the things that he does, in his presence, the blind see. In his presence, the poor hear good news. In his presence, debts become forgiven. Tax collectors give back their wealth. And it makes people uncomfortable. One of the ways that we know whether we are followers of Christ or not is whether we are uncomfortable. Because Christ is calling us to a different reality, a different world that does not look like this world. We don't get there overnight. We still are broken creatures living in a broken world. But Christ says to us, follow me. Risk living into this jubilee year. See what happens when you begin to let go of your wealth. See what happens when you begin to heal people. See what happens when you become a source of good news and comfort and joy to those around you. What you will see is that a new world begins to come into being. And it's beautiful. And it's filled with the joy of our Lord. And it becomes our joy. What we discover is that our source of being, our source of fulfillment, our source of joy does not lie in our wealth or in our possessions or any of these other things, but rather it lies in being what we were created to be and living where we were created to live, which is in that kingdom of God. And by the way, when I say kingdom of God, I know that carries a patriarchal tone to it. And I'll preach on that someday. I've never been able to come up with a better word to speak about it. But like I said, that, that, that's for another, another sermon. But one of the things that we talked about in our uh, council mini retreat yesterday was the need to kind of pick up this idea of worship plus two again and lift it up before the congregation because we recognize that that is so important in our journey. That we need to begin, not begin, we've already begun, but we need to remember to keep moving toward that differentness that Christ calls us toward. 
And like those who heard Christ speak those words originally, on the one hand, we're going to think it's beautiful. But on the other hand, it's going to make us profoundly uncomfortable because it's going to mean that we are transformed. And change is a difficult process, not just for Lutherans, but for everyone. Amen.